morning, everybody. Well, just want to say thank you to the band and uh, everybody who's doing helping put this together this morning. Fantastic time of praising the Lord and just uh, well done, everybody. Well, here we are on the uh, on the holy evening. That would be Halloween. That's what it hallow means. Holy, hallowed, holy evening. And uh, it's the evening before All Saints Day in the church calendar. Also Reformation Day. And uh, that's, I see one or two monks around here. That's probably uh, with an eye to remembering Martin Luther, beginning of the Reformation, as he nailed his uh, 95 theses, you know, uh, 95 points he wanted to make about reforming the church to the door of the church in Germany there. And uh, so lots of celebrations going on. And in the midst of all that, we recognize that even in a group like this, even though we're believers, most of us at least, and uh, here we are sitting in comfortable Southern California, nevertheless, quite often, life doesn't always treat us as kindly as we want. There are going to be people even among us now who are desperate. Something's going on in your life. You're pretty desperate for help. You're needy. And today I want to talk about how to pray when you're desperate, how to pray when you're desperate. We're going to be using Psalm 86. So if you have a Bible, you can, you can sort of find your way to Psalm 86. Uh, if, you don't, if you have a Bible and you don't know where the Psalms are, just basically open it in the middle and you'll be in the Psalms. So uh, that'll, that'll basically hit, hit the center of your Bible and uh, that'll be in the Psalms there and find number 86. And we're going to read it in a minute. We're going to talk about praying when you're desperate. You know, uh, if you haven't had moments of desperation in your life when you really, everything was going wrong or you just really needed help, you're in real trouble, if you haven't had those times in your life, uh, the, the reason is you haven't lived long enough yet uh, because they will come, those times, and uh, that's the nature of hum- human life and existence in this, in this world. A number of years ago when uh, we lived in England and we were living in the southwest of England in the county of Devon there and we had started a ministry down there and, and uh, with another family and God had really provided us that we didn't have anywhere to go and live. We didn't have much money and we didn't have anywhere to live and, and we'd prayed and the Lord had opened up. Uh, somebody in the city there in Torquay had, uh, uh, they had a Christian bed and breakfast place and they said to us, uh, uh, you know, this was just three weeks before these two families were due to move and start this ministry, had nowhere to stay. And they said to us, yeah, we just had to shut down this place so you can, you can rent it for real cheap. And it, had, it, it was almost big enough for the two families, had 17 bedrooms. And uh, so we were living in this. And then over that course of that year, they, the owners of the property decided they wanted to turn it into an old people's home, and we weren't quite... We weren't quite at that point yet, and uh, and so we had to move out. And they said to us, "You've got till, you know, the end of the year. So you've got basically till January 1st to move." And well, we had nowhere to go. Part of the issue was that uh, we didn't have much money. So we were. It was a faith-based mission we were working with, and uh, we we had to raise. You know, we just 
Well, we the, the the rents were just too high for what our income was in that town. But God had sent us there. We knew He was there in His will, and we knew, you know, we believed He would provide. But uh, we didn't have anywhere. We had our by that time we had a child, and and we were just. Uh, Praying and praying, got pretty desperate in prayer. Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord. You know, how are you, how are you going to work this one out? And learned quite a bit. And, you know, uh, and packed up all our stuff uh, and had nowhere to go. And it, it came to New Year's Eve. Uh, and uh, by that time, we about prayed all we could pray. We were kind of exhausted praying and we just thought well uh, there was a church that had a new year's eve party and actually using the premises of this hotel we were living in and so we just thought we'll just go to the new year's eve party we'll just party now that we've prayed and prayed and prayed and it was in the lord's hands to see what he would do and uh, i'm going to come back to the rest of that story in a few minutes well, I will say what I'm trying to say is we've had the experience of learning, of having to pray when you're desperate, when you really have no answers. Part of the issue was that, uh, as I said, the financial issue and the rents in those days, the rents in that town in, were about, uh, you know, you needed at least 400 pounds, maybe 600 pounds a month to find anything that we could, we could fit in as a family. And our, our sort of monthly guaranteed income was about 90 pounds a month. So we, we would, we were fairly poor, you might say. And, uh, and we, we had a faith goal. We said, we reckon we can trust God for 135 pounds a month. And, uh, that's even that was well past what we, that was, we couldn't actually afford it, you know, but that's what we could trust God for. We kind of had, that's where we were at. And uh, so that's the beginning of the story. Now, we're going to read Psalm 86 or parts of it in a minute, but let's look at the context here. Always when you're reading the passage of the Bible, you want to know what came before, right? And how does this help us understand it? And, of course, before Psalm 86 is Psalm 85. And in Psalm 85, there's a, a, a cry of help for the nation. It's a cry of help for the nation of Israel. And, and, uh, but when we get to Psalm 86, it's a cry of help for a person. So those are kind of, these both are prayers for desperate prayers for help. But one is for the nation, the next one is for the individual. How are we going to pray when we're desperate? Well, let's start with our reading. We're going to start at least with the first five verses. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. That's the first five verses of our reading. But above the reading is, uh, in your Bibles, it'll say something, a little superscription will say, a prayer of David. So this is a prayer, and it's put in the Bible as a prayer of David, of course, King David. And 
It's there to teach us to pray. Right? It's there to teach us to pray. The first thing to say about how to pray when desperate is the best way to pray is pray. Okay? How do you pray when you're desperate? The first thing you know, the best way to pray is pray. Now that's sounds obvious, but it's like, what's the best way to evangelize? Evangelize, right? Get on with it. Just go and do it. How do you, what's the best way to pray? Just start praying. That's better than not praying. And so that's the first thing to say. But there's more here. This whole psalm is there to teach us to pray. It's there, and so that that tells us something, that the Bible has given us, and God has given us through the Bible, resources to, so that we can learn how to pray. In fact, the whole book of Psalms is a book of prayers, and they're worth praying. They're worth praying as well as reading. We need to learn how to turn our panic and our pressure into prayer and praise. We need to learn to turn our panic and pressure into prayer and praise. And David, of course, who wrote this psalm, has gone one step further than turning his panic and pressure into prayer and praise. He's actually turned his prayer and praise into poetry and psalms. All right. You've got to, I'm preaching, you've got to alliterate somewhere, all right? And I just, it says, it says it, it says psalm, that's what it says. That's not a bad thing to do. You're desperate, you're praying, you're talking to the Lord, write it down, write down your prayers, find a way to express it, find a way even to express it creatively, whether that's a song, a poem, whether that's just writing a journal, whether that's writing your thoughts, you know, expressing it to the Lord. It's good. Because trust in the Lord is peace and rest, but it's not passivity. Let me say this again. Trust in the Lord is peace and is rest. It's not passivity. It's a different thing. You know, one of the things we like, we tend to do as human beings when we get into trouble is we want to escape the feelings of the pressure. We want to escape the feeling of the panic. We want to escape the feeling of, you know, the problems that are weighing them on us. And what, what we do, of course, is try to turn them out. We try to zone them out, to tune them out by escaping them somehow, right? We try to escape them by, you know, entertainment, uh, you know, just watch some more television. Surf some more web, you know, do some more social media. We're trying to do something to tune out the pain and the problem. We may be medicated. We do something, but we're trying to escape the feelings. But the problems remain. The desperation remains when we go that way. And prayer, the prayer of a desperate person is not just saying nothing. It's not leaving it alone and doing nothing. It isn't passive, but it is trusting and it is resting. And and those are different things. It's an active leaning on the Lord. It's an active reaching out to him in prayer. Well, this first five verses of the psalm really talks about personal and persistent prayer, personal and persistent prayer. It's a relationship 
we're talking about here. Look at, look at, look at the way he starts with getting God's attention. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, right? That quite a lot of the Psalms have this kind of language in them. You know, listen to what I'm saying. In fact, this, this little phrase, turn your ear to me, or something like that, is found not only in Psalm 86, uh, but also in Psalm 31, Psalm 71, Psalm 88. Uh, maybe you've ever had a child on your lap and, and the child wants to get your attention and they put their hands on your face and they turn your face towards them and saying, what they're saying is, look at me, pay attention to me. Right? When we are talking to the Lord, first thing to do is just to get his attention. Uh, ask to be heard. That's what the Bible does here. Incline your ear to me. And he calls God by name. He calls him here Yahweh or Lord. In your Bibles, it might have Lord in all capitals. And that's where the Hebrew, that's the original Hebrew of this passage, has the, the, the term Yahweh, the name, of, the personal name of God. And this, this psalm is in a little section of the psalms uh, where... From Psalm 84 to Psalm 89, this group of Psalms mainly uses the name Yahweh for God, right? Before that, it's, it's most of the Psalms in this third book of Psalms. By the way, the book of Psalms, 150 of them, is broken up into, into five books, uh, uh, but they're not equal in numbers. They're not five times 30. But uh, this particular group of Psalms, from Psalm 77 through to Psalm uh, 89 uh, is, uh, is, is one of the books of Psalms. And this ending part of this third book of Psalms, it, all of these are what we might call Yahweh Psalms. They, they use this name for the Lord. This is the personal name of God, emphasizing the personal and national relationship to God that Israel had and, and that David had and that the other songwriters had. In fact, in this rural group of Yahweh Psalms, this is the only one written by David. The others have other composers, and most of David's Psalms are earlier in the book of Psalms, but this is brought, sort of, the editors or the compilers of the book of Psalms have dropped this one in later in the book amongst these other Yahweh Psalms because it, the thematically, it fits perfectly where it is. So, he calls, call him by name. Look, think about how the Lord Jesus prayed. And he taught us to pray, you know, our Father, we address him by name. It's a personal relationship. He calls him Abba, Father, in Mark 14, 36, when he's desperately praying before the cross, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is a relationship. It's not a mechanism, right? Prayer is not mechanics, Prayer is not science. It's neither is it magic or manipulation of the spiritual forces. It is not an economic transaction. You're not paying for something and getting goods and services back. It's a relationship and it's personal. David says here, preserve my life for I am loyal. He says, save your servant who trusts in you, my God. Trust in him and be persistent. Look at verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day. <laughs> when you get desperate, your prayer life improves. You notice that? And you 
pray all day. That's, that's but be persistent. Don't give up. In verse four, he says, "Gladden the soul of your servant." That's his talk, the servant means himself. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. You know, when pressure is upon us, we're tempted to panic. You know, we, we, what we need to do is lift our hearts, lift our souls to the Lord, and he's going to gladden them. He's going to make us glad. And of course, in some ways, when he says here, gladden my soul, what he really is saying is answer my prayer. <laughs> but the soul that is lifted up to the Lord is made glad, is made whole, is healed. There's something incredible that happens in our emotional lives in, in the act of worship and prayer. When we lift our hearts to the Lord, pour out our hearts to the Lord, worship him in truth and in spirit, and come before him, it's amazing how much joy can come into your heart, even in the most difficult situation. It's personal relationship. Depend on his character. Look at verse 5. It's, it starts with the word for, right? For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. All five verses give a reason, all five of these first five verses, if you look at the psalm, they all give a reason for why God should answer this cry for help, right? And the first four are all about the reason that's in the, in the writer, in David, Right, verse five, verse one. I am poor and needy. Verse two, you know, I am loyal. Verse three, I cry to you all day long. Verse four, I lift up my soul to you. Right, these are all the reasons that David is piling up why God should answer his desperate prayer for help. But then he finishes this little section of the psalm with a much greater reason. It's it's in the Lord Himself, right? The reason is not, these are real. The first four reasons are real, but they're not the main thing. The, the focus shifts to the character of the Lord. He is good. He is forgiving. Right? You, O Lord, are good and forgiving. He's abounding in steadfast love. That word steadfast love, or those two words in the, in the Hebrew here, chesed, means sometimes translated loving kindness, sometimes translated Loving faithfulness, uh, loyalty, commitment. But this exact phrase, abounding in steadfast love, comes right from, from Exodus 34, verse 6. And we're on a series where we're seeing how that God's self-revelation to Moses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, as he speaks from Mount Sinai and shows Moses who he's like in his character. We're in a series showing how that is used through the rest of the Old Testament. And here we are in Psalms, and here we are, David has been reading Moses. He's been reading Exodus, and he sees what God is like there, and he, and he says, Lord, you are abounding in steadfast love. That's what Moses was told by God, and that's what David says to God. Same, we, we also read Numbers 14, if you remember that. Same thing, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We're going to see it again, even in this passage. So it's the goodness of God that we have to rely on, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the commitment, the steadfast love. That's what we need to rely on when we're desperate. All those other reasons, they're fair enough. But the real, the major reason here is his 
goodness, his wonder, the perfection of his character. This is the fundamental reason for our trust and our prayer, not in ourselves, but in him. That's the first part of the psalm. The second part of the psalm is the next five verses, right? So verse 1 to 5 and then verse 6 to 10. And uh, do we have a, is that, we got it there? Great. Trust in him alone. All right, kind of obvious maybe, but trust in him alone. Let's read it. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now, this starts a bit like verse 1, right? It's a second kind of stanza of the psalm, a second verse, and or st- not a verse, but second stanza. So he's going to say similar thing. Verse 1, incline your ear, O Lord. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. So it starts again, and it again calls him Yahweh, Lord, all capitals. So verse 1, verse 6, name the Lord, give him his personal name, Yahweh, and start both of these sections and start in the same way. That's why I've kind of divided up like I have, because it's actually in the text. These little markers are there to tell you these are the units. These are the divisions of the text. And it's a plea for grace, sometimes translated, listen to the voice of my supplications or prayers for favor. This is a confident prayer look at this in verse 7 in the day of my trouble i call upon you for you answer me you answer me you know that don't you the lord is a god who answers prayer not that he's a servant of yours at at the whim and at the call at every whim that you have but he is an incredible god who answers prayer but this second stanza of the psalm moves the, moves the conversation on because the first, as I said, was very personal. It's all about his needs. My, you know, I, Lord, look at the number of times it says there in the first five verses, I, right? Uh, this here starts six and seven personally. I call upon you for you answer me. But in verse eight to ten, the attention actually turns away from the prayer. It's no longer looking at himself and saying, look at me, help me, I'm in need. Now he's going to be looking at the God of creation, the God who's greater than all, the Lord of all. Remember, verse 8 and 9, we could say, he is incomparable. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Consider how great he is. There's no comparable power, he says. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no comparable acts of grace and strength, he says, nor are there any works like yours. Don't be over-scared by the power of the nations. Don't be over-scared by the powerful forces around you. They're all going to bow at the feet of Jesus. 
right? They're all going to bow at the feet of Jesus. Verse 10, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Just like we read in Revelation 15 and verse 4, who will not fear? Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. You see, the Lord, Yahweh, is not some personal deity, not some spirit guide, not some personal deity, not even a family deity, not even the God of your nation. He is the creator of all. All other powers with a spiritual, governmental, economic will let you down. Guaranteed, they'll let you down. Don't look to them when you're desperate because there's nothing and no one like the Lord our God. Amen? There's nothing and no one like him. Look to him. In verse 10, this section ends similar to the first section with the reason, the main reason we should pray and trust the Lord. All right, so we see that first word in verse 10, for, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. It's all about him. Now, in verse 1 to 5, it's all about God's character, his goodness, his forgiving nature, his faithfulness, his love. In verse 6 to 10, it's all about not so much his character of goodness and love and faithfulness, but about his power, his identity. He is great, for he does wonderful things. Look at verse 10. You are great. You do wonderful things. You alone are God. On that New Year's Eve party in Torquay in, in England, when we were desperately needing somewhere to go with, with my wife and, and myself, our little boy, halfway through the evening of that New Year's party, a young couple came up to us who we had never met, never talked to, didn't know. But they were a couple who came to the party. This was a church that wasn't our church. And we, did, we knew a few people there. We didn't know many of them. They came up to us and said, you're John and Heidi, right? Yeah. We're here. You're looking for somewhere to live. Here we are. Well, they said, we have been living in a house that's owned by my parents. It was the, the girl's parents and we've just got our own place and we're moving out this week and we heard that you might need somewhere and uh, yeah, yeah we do really and so so remember I talked about the rent so we had had our faith goal 135 pound a month is what we figured that was much more than we even knew we were going to get in uh, but it was our faith goal and a lot less even than the rents, which are in the 400 to 600 pound range. So we, we, uh, but so anyway, we're here looking, maybe you'd be interested in renting a house so it belongs to her parents. And we've talked to, she, we, she said, we've talked to my parents already. They're, they're interested. And, uh, well, we said, oh, that's, that's wonderful. And they said, now about the rent. And we thought, oh, here it comes, you know, because it's someone's house, they pay them, have a mortgage on it, you know, and all that sort of thing. And uh, they, she said, what would you say to 135 pounds a month? 
Well, we, we didn't have much to say, honestly. It was almost speechless, but it was just the faithfulness of God. Praise the Lord. We can only stop and praise the Lord. He is the Lord. He is great. He does wonderful things. We moved in that week to that house. It was run down. A few leaks in the roof. We didn't mind. Tiny little kitchen. No central heating. We didn't care. God had put us there. It was 10 minutes walk from the beach and we could look out our windows and see the bay. It wasn't bad. God really provided for us in that house. And he's always provided somewhere for us to live. He is good. He does great things. He alone is God. Verses, the next section, verses 11 to 13, reads this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Well, this is interesting. We could call this section, Learn Your Lessons. How do you pray when you're desperate? This is rather kind of interesting, because in the middle of this psalm of prayer, help, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, right? Help, Lord, for, for I'm in trouble. Help, Lord, for you are good. Help, Lord, for you are great. In the middle of all this, he stops asking for, for help and says, teach me your way, O Lord. Remember, I think David's been reading, right? He's been reading in Exodus because in and, and remember, he's already prayed some a, a phrase of prayer here from Exodus 34. Well, it's in Exodus 33, if you might remember back, if you were with us then, that Moses says to the Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you. Almost right before, you know, at the end of chapter 33 in Exodus. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Again, he starts the new, text, the new section calling on Yahweh. It's Lord, all capitals, here again. But this time, he's asking for the Lord to teach him. And he's going to promising to praise him. Why would he do this? Why is this here in the middle of a prayer for help? Why in the middle of a prayer for help do you suddenly teach me your ways? Look, God uses trouble to teach us. God uses trouble and pressure to teach us. Not, you know, that every trouble is is simply come because we need a lesson. Come, troubles come for all kinds of reasons, but God can use anything that comes our way to teach us. One of my old or former mentors uh, and teachers was teaching us how to live by faith in God for finances, and he used to say, it's never about the money. <laughs> It's never about the money. God's, God's not short of, of, a, of, of, a, of some change in his pocket. He's never about the money. There's always something else if there's an issue that you have to learn. And so one of the things we need to learn to do is ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? Not that every little problem in life is a lesson, right? You walk out in the garden, you stub your toe on a rock, you're hopping around going, oh, what are you trying to teach me, God? Watch where you're going. But I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, God just heaps troubles on us all the time just to teach us another lesson. But he does discipline those he loves. We know that. And he does use even the terrible things that happen to lead us 
more into his heart, more into close relationship with him, more into righteousness. You know, a number of years ago, I got cancer in, uh, and in my thyroid, and uh, it was one of those things. I had my operation. Didn't know I had cancer until after the operation, they told me, and we took it all out and everything. And so there was a long recovery period in which they were concerned in case it had spread to the rest of my body. They were giving me radiation treatment. And I felt in that period so unbelievably weak. I felt so unbelievably weak. And, in, and I couldn't literally, when I came out of the operation, I couldn't, they did, somehow affected my vocal cords. I couldn't, literally couldn't talk. Not, I couldn't say a word uh, or anything apart from the smallest whisper. It was just, and for someone who makes a living from teaching and preaching, you know, things like I'm a professor at a seminary, that's pretty tough. And, and so, and someone who loved to sing, and, and I couldn't speak, and I was lying there for a number of a couple of weeks, just trying to recover, feeling very bad. And at the same time, it seemed like every other member of my family was having problems. They were all having troubles, and part, of course, is that when one member, you know, because I was struggling, that put more pressure on them. But on top of that, other things were going on in their lives. And just it seemed to be multiplying, problems multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And I got desperate, and I talked to the Lord about it. Because I felt like even in, when I felt literally at my weakest, that somehow I needed to provide strength for my family when they were struggling. And I didn't like that because I, I felt like... A, Who's in trouble here? Why are you guys having all these problems when I'm the one who's just been diagnosed with cancer and had an operation, and radiation and all that? So I feel just a little sorry for myself. As I spoke to the Lord about it, I said, Lord, oh, Lord, I feel so weak. Do I have to be strong for everyone? And he said to me, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I learned a lesson. And he said, he said, I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you to be strong for others. I learned my lesson. Sometimes our troubles are our own fault. That's why we need to learn a lesson in the midst of desperation. Right? Sometimes troubles and pressures push us to unfaithfulness. Push us to a divided loyalty, a divided heart. That's why he says here, unite my heart to fear your name. We need to be more afraid of God than we are of our circumstances. And in, we need to learn to thank and praise God in the midst of trouble. That's what he says here. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, right? Verse 11, unite my heart to fear your name. Verse 12, with my whole heart, I'm going to give thanks to you. We need a united, single, whole heart to fear, to confess, to thank, to glorify him. Keep doing it, especially when we're in trouble, especially when we're in trouble. You know, we've had our times in our family where, you know, there's been troubles. And, and one of the things I've had to learn over and over and over again is to keep praising the Lord when things aren't looking good, to keep worshiping God, to keep 
a single whole united heart to fear his name, to thank him, to glorify him, not just a one-off moment of praise, but to keep doing it. And again in verse 13, we see that starting with that word for, each of these sections ends with a reason. And verse 4, this section again, why? Right? Should we learn our lessons and keep worshipping in the midst of disaster? For it says, great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. It's his love, his faithfulness. That's why we should learn our lessons and keep praising. It's because what he's already done for you. You've already delivered, he says, my soul, my life. Hebrew here, nefesh. You've already delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, meaning from death. Sheol is the resting place of the dead, like Hades. And you've delivered me from death, and you've brought me to life. That's good reason to learn my lessons and keep worshiping. Well, our final section of the, of the, of the psalm, verses 14 to 17. Let's read it. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. And they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me this final section unlike the others does not start addressing god as yahweh lord all capitals it starts with the word god here elohim but it does finish with yahweh the last line of the psalm it's divided into two parts of two verses each verse 14 and 15 david makes some important statements to god in verse 16 and 17, he returns to asking God for help. So let's look at that first uh, part of this, verse 14 and 15. Speak the truth. Speak the truth when you're praying in desperation. See, pressure, problems, panic, troubles tend to destroy, to, tend, sorry, to distort the truth in our minds. We get a warped view on life. We get a twisted view. We're seeing everything through the lens of problem. We can't see clearly. We've got to speak the truth. And the first thing we have to do is speak the truth about the situation we're in. Just tell him what's going on when you're in trouble. Don't be super spiritual about it. Just tell him the problems, right? Or my, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Lamentations 2.19, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Just tell him all about it. Be honest with him. Tell him exactly how you're feeling, what's going on, what the problem is. This is now. This, we, by the way, you've noticed in the psalm, up till this point, we never even told what the problem was. Now we find out the problem is people. <laughs> he has enemies. And... When you come to worship the Lord, as you come to pray in desperation, you come to worship, just be honest with him. You know, occasionally you get a, worship, a well-meaning worship leader who will say to the church, look, as we come to worship God today, just put aside your problems, your cares and all that. Let's leave that and uh, come and praise the Lord. That's, and, and look, you can't do it. It's impossible. What we need to do is actually bring our problems to the Lord. Come with them, lay them before him, talk, tell him about them. Honest, just verbalize it. Tell him about 
the situation. Speak the truth about the situation. Be honest with God. Tell him what's going on. And in verse 15, speak the truth about the Lord. Right? Look at verse 15. But you, O Lord, here's the problem, and it's a real problem. I've got enemies. I've got people against me. They're out to get me. But what about what about you? That's an even greater truth. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Wow. Does anybody hear again the echoes of Exodus 34, 6, 7, right? Exodus 34, 6 says, the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What does Psalm 86, 15 say? You, O Lord, and that word Lord, by the way, is lowercase L-O-R-D, right? In verse, uh, fifth, fifth, um, verse 15, uh, the, the Hebrew there, Adonai, my Lord, uh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is an exact quote from Exodus 34, 6. Listen, speak the truth about the Lord. Remember his mercy and his grace. People may be your problem. The Lord is not. He is not your problem. His character is good and gracious. And then in the, la- the, the second section of this Third, or this portion of the psalm, verses 14 to 17, verses 16 to 17, these last two verses of the psalm, he just returns to asking for help. And like in verse 1 when he says, incline your ear to me, Lord, or in verse 5 when he says, give ear, Lord, here again he says, turn to me and be gracious to me, right? He asks for the Lord's attention, for his turning, And he asks for four things in this section of the psalm. Number one, he asks for grace. Be gracious to me, he says. He's asking for grace, and God is a God of grace, and that's a good prayer. Number two, he's asking for strength, right? Be gracious to me. Turn to me. Be gracious to me, and give me your your strength to your servant. That means him. He's asking for grace. He's asking for strength. Then he says, save the son of your maidservant. His, that would be his mum, right? His mother. So his maidservant, God's maidservant. is another way of talking about himself, poetic way. But he's saying, save me. So grace, mercy, grace, right? Strength, deliverance, rescue, salvation. So grace, strength, rescue is what he's praying for and the fourth thing he prays for is in verse 17 he says show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because of you because you lord have helped me and comforted me he's asking for a sign of god's goodness that's an interesting prayer now in one way what he's saying really is answer my prayer get me out of this trouble and that would be the sign of your goodness, that God rescues him from his enemies. But that's a great pair to pray. Grace, strength, deliverance, and a sign of God's goodness when you're desperate 
And what happens then when God answers is the enemies uh, are going to be confounded. It's not that he's, by the way, you notice he's not asking for judgment here. They're going to be ashamed that they've been opposing God's, God's man here. That's not that he's asking for judgment. In fact, he says all the nations are going to come and bow down before you. But he is asking for mercy. Just like the other sections of the psalm, this last section finishes with a reason for trust. And he says this, for you, O Lord, and again, Lord, all capitals, Yahweh, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. When you're desperate, remember his mercy. Verse 15 is remembering his mercy to Israel in the past. Remember what he's done in the story the Bible tells. Remember what he's done historically in the scriptures. What he's, remember what he's done for others. But verse 17 is remember what he's done for you, right? For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Just like at the beginning of the psalm, it's very personal. It comes very personal back again in the last verse. That's why I'm praying, Lord, because you have helped me, have comforted me. Remember what he's done for you when you're desperate. You know, Jesus prayed desperate prayers. And when he prayed, he called God his Father. He submitted to his will, just like in Gethsemane, right? Jesus in Gethsemane is about to be crucified. He's, he's calling out to the Lord, absolute prayer of desperation, sweating blood. And he calls God, Abba, Father, take this cup, but not your will, but my will. And you know, when Jesus prayed on the cross, he prayed the Psalms. He used the Psalms. He helped him. How did God help Jesus endure the pain of the cross? By turning his mind, if you like, or Jesus turned his mind to the scriptures and he prayed the Psalms. Even my Lord, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first line of Psalm 22 which is a psalm of lament, a way of pouring out your problems to the Lord. I think we've looked today at a very powerful passage that tells us how to pray when we're desperate. And the way I'd like us to finish in prayer today is by praying this together. So if, I, if you've got the notes, uh, you've got this sheet or it's online at clvlhambro.com slash Sunday, yes, or it's on the screen. And I'd like us just to stand for a, few, a minute and just read this out together as a prayer for our heart from the Lord. One thing we need to learn is not only to see the Psalms as an example of prayer, but learn to pray them as a prayer. So let's, let's read this together. Just with me, right? Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. 
Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Amen.